This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. There's a pleasure in that kind of stereotypical vision of an old Southern man sitting on a rocking chair, just looking at the yard. That's an amazing thing to do. There's all kinds of apps and meditation guides that are just searching for that. And, you know, growing up Southern, it's just what you did sometimes was just sit and enjoy the summer day. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. Today I'm chatting with a member of one of country music's most popular bands, who says that being true to himself and transparent with his fans has been one of the greatest factors in their success. I've found in songwriting, the more you kind of go inward and explore your own feelings, it can be scary, but the more you kind of put that out there, usually those are the ones that really resonate with people because you're speaking to a true emotion that other people have but maybe don't know how to express. About a decade ago, Buzz in Nashville began to grow around Old Dominion, led by this week's guest, lead singer Matthew Ramsey. Made up of talented songwriters who all met in their native Virginia, the quintet grew an audience early on by playing hits from Kenny Chesney, Luke Bryan, and Dirk Bentley. But what audiences didn't know until later is that those covers were originally written by the members of Old Dominion themselves. Now in 2021, thanks to their own hits like Some People Do and One Man Band, Old Dominion has racked up multiple ACM awards and two Grammy nominations. On today's show, Matthew shares the advice he got from a fellow songwriter that he continues to carry with him, even after playing stadiums for tens of thousands. I asked him what he thought about moving to Nashville, and and he said if you're moving there to be a star, then don't do it. But if you're moving there to be surrounded by the best musicians and the best songwriters in the world, and you want to learn how to get better, then by all means, I think you should. So that's been the mentality that I've been able to keep to this day, is I still am am trying to learn to be better and not try to be a star. I'm just trying to creatively dig in and learn and be better. Plus how Matthew has given back to his small town Virginia community, his experience writing a song with his 12-year-old daughter during quarantine, and much more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Well, Matthew Ramsey, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, Matthew, I've got to start off and just ask how you're doing. Uh, I know you had a nasty fall recently. Are you on the mend? I did. I'm moving slow, but doing well. Today is the first day I'm kind of like diving back into work a little bit. So we'll see how it goes. I'm sure I'll be pretty tired by the end, but it hurts to laugh. It hurts to cough. (laughs) I have a broken rib and it punctured and collapsed my lung when I hit. So uh, my lung is pretty much back. It's just the pain from the rib, really. Oh, and this was falling off of a ladder. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, trying to change a light bulb that quite honestly didn't even need to be changed. I I just didn't like the shade of white it was. So I was changing it to to the white that I liked and down I went. It was quite a fall. 
Oh, man. Well, I'm glad to see you're uh, feeling better. Yeah, definitely. Glad to be back. (laughs) So, Matthew, you grew up in a small town in Virginia called Buchanan. Yes. And I don't know if I'm saying that. Am I saying that right? You said it right. Good job. Yeah, because a lot of people call it Buchanan, but you must have done some research because that's that's how you say it when you're from there. Well, it looks like Buchanan. Right. But anyway, this town is super rural, and it's right on the James River. Tell me a little bit about your hometown and what it was like growing up there. It's very small, and you know, there's probably about, I'd say, a thousand people. It's very storybook, you know. Looks like out of a movie. Just a little quaint little town. Lots of churches down the main street, and it is right on the James River and right in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So it's beautiful. Everybody knows everybody. It was a great place to grow up. I think you know, as a teenager, it was a little boring. I always wanted bigger and more, and but I'm so happy I, that's where I grew up, and I'm very proud of it. Can you describe the house that you grew up in? Yeah, it's a house that was built in 1934, an old brick house with, you know, nice yard, but it is right on Main Street and old wooden floors and very Southern. The The foundation was actually, I believe, from the original house that was in the 1800s. And then they tore that down in 1934 to build a more modern house. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was real modern in 1934. Yeah. <laughs> so your dad worked in the railroad business, right? He did. Up until, I guess, we moved into that house. He took a buyout and left the railroad, and it was never his dream job. It was just what he had to do. And I guess late 80s, we moved into that house, and, and he stopped working for the railroad. And is Buchanan kind of a railroad town? Roanoke, Virginia, which is the closest city to Buchanan was a big railroad town. It's not as much anymore, but at that time, the drummer in our band, Whit, it's what, who's from the same area, it's what his dad did, and that's what every man on my dad's side of the family really did for a living. And your mom was a math teacher? Yeah, she was a high school math teacher. She luckily didn't teach at the high school that I went to while I was there, but, uh, <laughs> but ended up teaching there, yeah. So what did they do that kind of laid the foundation for this incredible music career that you've had? I think they were just always very supportive of me exploring that side. It was not an extremely musical family. My dad is a huge fan of all music, so he played a lot of music all the time. The radio is always on. There's always music in the house. And I had a couple of uncles that were musical that always fascinated me. So they they would encourage me for sure. We had a piano. I would sit down and mess on the piano. And my dad would say, you should pick up that guitar that your uncle gave you. And, you know, so I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So then I'd pick it up and play it. So between that and painting and drawing, those were both, I was into both visual art and, and musical arts. So um, that's how I spent most of my time. That's so cool that you had this visual art path as well as the musical one. Yeah, that was really, you know, my other true passion was creating. I just like to create, whether it be writing or music and building a song or sculpting or painting or drawing something. It was just something that I always was doing and still am always doing. I was self-taught as as a musician and I still can't like read music. So 
the kids that were going into music school were leaps and bounds ahead of me as far as that goes. So I chose art school. So Matthew, this podcast is called Biscuits and Jam. So you know we have to talk a little bit about food and especially Southern food. Um, who was the cook in your family? Both, actually. My mom's a very good cook, and my dad is, too. And as far as the biscuits go, that's probably my dad's territory. <laughs> but uh, uh, he's actually always been the breakfast cook. So he, he loves big breakfasts, and he cooks breakfast every morning. What were some of your favorite dishes growing up? I mean, I, I was also a huge breakfast person, and we actually just talked about it yesterday. My dad and I, um, sausage gravy was a big one. I'm actually a vegetarian now, but... Um, so I don't I don't <laughs> eat the sausage anymore, but uh, I loved that so much. It was it was so so good. Some of my favorite foods I don't eat anymore. Again, in the summers, my grandparents lived in Delaware, and we would go up to the coast and just get bushels of crabs. I don't eat that anymore because I've developed an allergy to shellfish. So it's just a big bummer here as far as food goes. <laughs> Were the holidays a big thing in your family? Thanksgiving in particular is a big one for sure. Any given Thanksgiving, you'd have 30 or 40 people for dinner. So it was quite an event. Well, I'm guessing you missed that last fall. Yeah, definitely. Everyone was was kind of bummed about that one. Are you looking forward to getting back this year? Yeah, I hope so. I hope we can get back to some normalcy there. So you wrote a Christmas song called It's Christmas and We're Still Here. came out in 2020. What inspired that song? Man, you know, it was just, honestly, no one was ever really meant to hear that. That was just something that I, <laughs> that I was feeling, you know, it was, it's just so hard. It's such a hard year. And it's like, some people can kind of take that as sort of a bummer of a sentiment, but it was really meant to be hopeful. And, you know, it's, it's hard, but you know, we're, we're getting through this. And that was really just what I was feeling at the moment. And just sort of came out. Well, it's a beautiful song, and it clearly struck a chord with a lot of people when it came out, whether you intended that yeah. or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing is, you know, I've found in songwriting, the more you kind of go inward and explore your own feelings, it can be scary. But the more you kind of put that out there, usually those are the ones that really resonate with people because you're speaking to a true emotion that other people have but maybe don't know how to express. I hope that secret Santa's got it in his plans to help us put our pride and differences aside and share with you before the chance disappears. Say it's Christmas. So, Matthew, you and your wife, Sarah, started a foundation back in 2012, I think, called the Ramsey Foundation. And it's all about working with rural communities and helping to promote the arts in those communities. And this was before Old Dominion had really made it big. Why did you guys start that? Well, it started with my parents were were big in in the church, and um, there's a like a food pantry that's operated out of that church. And my dad was sort of in charge of of that for a while. And nine or ten years ago, he was talking on the phone to me about how much need 
was in that little small town for food and how many people were struggling. And he was having a hard time keeping up with the demand of the amount of food that needed to be provided. And being such a small, supportive town, and I had already moved to Nashville and was doing what I was doing, I had no success whatsoever yet, but people were excited that I was trying. So I knew that if I came back to town that that I could perform for a couple hundred people and people would show up and donate some money and it would help. So I asked my dad if that would help. And he said, yes, I think it would. So I called a couple of songwriter friends that I have, Trevor Rosen and Matt Jenkins and Josh Osborne at the time to come with me. And none of us had any success. I just knew that they were they were my friends and they were really talented and it would be entertaining for the people of my town to see. So we came back and we put on this show for a couple hundred people and we raised 1500 bucks or something to buy some food. And it was really fun and everyone in the town loved it. And so we just kept coming back each year. And each year that went by, each one of us gained a little more success until suddenly we're coming back as literally the biggest songwriters in Nashville. You know, I'm Josh Osborne has got 10 songs on the chart and we're playing suddenly two hour shows of nothing but hit songs in this little town. And we finally, you know, we were raising so much money that, you know, my dad's like, Hey, we're good. You know, the, we got enough food to last for a long time. Like we're, we're good. You guys got it, you know? And so then we started to look at some other ways that we could put this money to use, starting with the high school that I went to, because they donate the building um, every year for us to do this. And, and volunteers, you know, there's clubs and kids that, that volunteer to help put it on. So we felt like the right thing to do and the first thing to do outside of the food pantry was to make a donation to this high school and to the arts specifically to help that program flourish. It's very cool. We got some pictures. They built a little recording studio that one of the teachers had sort of started already, but you know, he just had a basically a laptop and a guitar and a microphone, but we helped them get some instruments in there and, and a space and bring in some professionals, maybe funding some professionals to come in and give talks and, and lessons and things like that. So um, it's very cool for, for the kids there, especially having grown up there. And like I said, having to really seek out those things myself. It's difficult living in a rural community like that and, and getting access to the arts. So hopefully this will help some kids in that situation. Yeah, there are probably so many kids like you who grow up wanting to get into the arts, thinking about that, and they just don't have the access. They don't have anyone telling them that they can do it. Yeah, when the closest city, you know, uh, with an art museum is... 35, 40 minutes away or to see a, a show or the, the symphony or whatever is that far away. So maybe you don't have a car to get out there, you know, it's tough to find that stuff. So hopefully this will help bring a lot of that in. We'll continue with Old Dominion's Matthew Ramsey after the break. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken. 
a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and we're talking with lead vocalist for Old Dominion, Matthew Ramsey. So tell me about your move to Nashville. You were talking about the early days in Nashville and how you didn't have a lot of success for a while. What was that like for you? It takes a long time, man. I was lucky to meet two people. One was... He was a songwriter and an artist at the time. His name's Phil Vassar. He's from Lynchburg, Virginia, but he lived here and he sort of took me under his wing and said, if this is what you want to do, you need to be in Nashville and you need to see what it's like out on the road. Come on the bus with me and I'll show you what it's like. And so I was lucky to meet him. And then I was also lucky to meet a songwriter named Daryl Scott, who wrote some Dixie Chicks, Travis Tritt. Oh, know him well. Yeah, amazing songwriter. And I asked him before I moved, uh, I was at like a seminar where he was putting on a, a demonstration and and I asked him what he thought about moving to Nashville. And, and he said, if you're moving there to be a star, then don't do it. But if you're moving there to be surrounded by the best musicians and the best songwriters in the world and you want to learn how to get better, then by all means, I think you should. So that's been the mentality that I've been able to keep to this day is I still am am trying to learn to be better and not try to be a star. I'm just trying to creatively dig in and learn and be better. So that's the mentality that I had moving into Nashville. And I think that probably helped me stay the course because the next 10, 12, 15 years were tough. <laughs> you, know, you, re- you really have to grind it out and be broke and hear no a million times before you get a maybe, you know? So it seems like you guys as Old Dominion have a really special bond. It's a really unique group of guys. How did y'all come together as Old Dominion and what was the spark that really made that come together? Well, you're right. We do have a very special bond. That's We're very lucky to have that as a band. I think that's why we're still a band. You know, Wit and I, the drummer, we're from the same area. He went to the same middle school as me. And then he went to college and he joined a band. And I saw his band play and they became my favorite band. And in that band was Jeff, our bass player. And we started playing shows together. I would open up for them and just my acoustic guitar. And, and then there was another band on the scene at the same time that they were in college with that had Brad, our guitar player, in it. So we were all in college and playing in the same bars. And then I moved to Nashville 
and they were still a band. And I was calling them saying, you guys got to come down here. It's, you will kill it down here. Like, you guys are such a great band. You should come here. And then they broke up. <laughs> so, so once they broke up, they sort of all individually, one by one, moved down over the course of like a year. They all sort of came down here. So they were all still friends. They were just not in a band anymore. In the meantime, I had met Trevor and was writing songs with him and trying to play him out in, in whatever clubs and bars and listening rooms that I could. And here's my buddies who were the best musicians that I knew who were in town. And then we started to have success as songwriters. So then people started to go, who is this band who is writing all these songs for other people? <laughs> you know, so it started to snowball going and, and got us a little bit of attention so that people could kind of start to take us seriously as, as a band because most bands have to play cover songs to keep people's attention. And the covers that we were playing were our own songs that, that were hits <laughs> for other people. So, Right, you're writing songs for like Kenny Chesney. Yeah, so we were up there playing Dirks Bentley, Ken, Kenny Chesney, Luke Bryan songs, and people were like, wow, they wrote these things, you know? So finally... <laughs> After being turned down by every record label, you know, in town at least twice, we actually got invited on the tour with Kenny Chesney before we had a record deal. So, you know, we were an unsigned band playing football stadiums. And finally, a, a record label was like, okay, <laughs> we, we got we to gotta get these guys. <laughs> So, Matthew, talking about songwriting, you guys have a beautiful song called Some People Do, mm -hmm. which came out last year and was nominated for two Grammys. Can you tell me the story behind that song and what it's meant to you personally? Yeah, that song continually kind of shows up in my life. But at the time, it was the second song that we wrote that day. And I wrote it with Shane McAnally and Jesse Frazier and Thomas Rhett, actually. We were kind of finished for the day. So we thought, you know, we were just kind of talking as we were packing up. I was literally putting my computer and things in my bag. And some I said, some people do as just part of the conversation. And as songwriters, your radar is always on. And Thomas Rhett is one of those people that has a huge radar for that stuff. It's always searching. And he said, that's an interesting title. And he sat down at the piano, he played those chords, and and he sang the first line. He just, some people quit drinking too much. And we all just went, whoa. <laughs> and I think I'm getting chills right now talking about that moment. And so we all just sat right back down. We knew we had to, to do this because it hit us all so hard. And... It was an emotional day from that point on. For me, it just really was feeling feeling like maybe I wasn't um, living up to the man that I really knew I could be or, or wanted to be. And I didn't know how or, or why, but I just felt it so much. And, you know, we're all crying as we're, as we're writing it. You know, I think everybody just really connected to it. And then... Literally the next day, I um, is when I started some therapy on myself because I just it just hit me that 
I'd never talked to a therapist before, but I, I just knew as we were writing that song that I was in need of some self-work. And that song was the catalyst for that for me. And uh, it's still, you know, to this day, hard to hear and hard to listen to. And even when we were recording it, I told Shane, I was like, I don't know if I can sing this every night. And he said, well, that's exactly why you need to record it, <laughs> you know? So people want to hear it. And it really has turned into um, an amazing thing to hear all the emails and messages on social media that we get about that song, about how much it, it means to people and how it helps them through difficult times. It's really special thing. So it maybe wasn't a big hit on the radio, but when it came through as a Grammy-nominated song and that on top of all the messages was really, you know, validating that we pushed that song through to completion. But some people do. Some people quit drinking too much And some people quit lying Some people decide to grow up but it's never good timing. I wouldn't forgive what I put you through. But I'm here tonight, hoping some people do. When was the last time you played that song for a crowd? Oh, man. I would say it had to be the last show that we played was in mid-February of 2020, from that show to L.A. to record the video for that song. And that was the last thing we did for the, for the lockdown was make the video for Some People Do. So I want to ask you about that video, which is incredible. And it's all about a guy named Jason who cuts hair for the homeless in L.A. How did you meet him and how did his story kind of mesh with the song? He's a stylist, a hairstylist for, for a lot of celebrities. You know, he does James Corden, and we met him on a photo shoot. It was for our first album. He was there helping us groom and look nice, you know? And he's just such a cool person. We just hit it off. We just connected with him as a friend and kept in touch with him and wanted to use him as much as we could. And as we got to know him and his story, he's such an incredible guy and what he's been through as an addict, recovering addict himself and, and how he persevered through that and what he's doing to serve others was just an inspiring story. And when it comes time to make a music video for us, it's always a challenge because we always kind of feel silly in front of the camera especially on a more serious song. You know, we, we don't take ourselves too seriously. So we didn't really want to do a, some video where we're looking all sad or trying to act serious, you know. And instead, I was on the bus one night in my bunk looking at his Instagram and saw all these stories of some of the people that he's helped and cleaned up and gotten into programs and just thought like, man, this is the message of some people do. This is a message of hope and perseverance and change. So I texted him right there. It was late at night. And I said, man, do you think it would be cool if I sent him the song and just said, if we just followed you with a camera and made the video about this and could help your foundation, the men's groomer, and he was all in. So uh, it was a perfect match for that song.
Well, so there's another side to your music, which is just pure fun. What is one of your favorite songs to play at a show just to really get people in a good mood and having a good time? Well, I mean, obviously we have a song called One Man Band, which was a huge hit for us. I mean, it's the biggest hit that we've had. And, you know, as an artist, you're just so lucky to even get a song like that that just really doesn't quit. And that song just embodies who we are as as a band and as songwriters. It's just joy and love and, you know, it's it's all those things. And and it becomes such a huge sing-along that, man, what a gift that song has been for us. So that's fun. And when you go to a live show, that's what you want is, to, is a release and just to have a great time. So that's what that song is about. Well, I want to ask you about your new album, which was recorded during this three-week-long stint in Asheville, North Carolina, in the middle of the pandemic. What inspired you guys to leave town and go to Asheville to record this album? Usually the, the, the album process is crammed into a very business, busy schedule for us. You know, we were gone 200 days a year. So to be in town to record an album, you had to sandwich it in to whatever hole you could. Uh, and we always sort of dreamed about having time to really dig in on an album and make music like they used to, you know, as <laughs> they used to spend time in studios and write and record. And we've always dreamt about that and talked about that, but never had the time. But then everything shut down and we thought, well, if there's ever a time, this is it. We, we have been given this gift of time. So when you're in Nashville, there's all kinds of responsibilities that we have. And we just thought, well, let's go outside of town so that we don't have to think about anything else other than being creative and making the music we want to make. So that's what we did. We chose Asheville. It's a beautiful studio there and beautiful part of the country. And we wrote and recorded the entire thing right there. We didn't bring any songs in. We just wake up in the morning, have breakfast, write a song in the morning and in the evening, record it. And it was a really magical way to, to make an album. You know, I heard you mention in another interview uh, that during the pandemic that you co-wrote a song with your daughter, Naomi. How did that happen? She's a very expressive kid. She just turned 12 this week, but she's very creative and she's very emotional. She's one of those kids that just like, she wears her heart on her sleeve. And, you know, at the beginning of it all, she was just having a really hard time one day. She wanted her normal life, just like we all did. And she was frustrated. And I had my whole setup there. I was working on some stuff. And she kept walking by. I could tell she was she was struggling. And I said, come here. Tell me what you're feeling. You know. And she told me. And I had a little piano part. I put it down. And I said, well, sing that. Sing that here. You know. And I would sing her a little melody. And she would say, OK. And then she would sing that. It was just a conversation. I had her keep telling me what she was feeling. And I would nudge her a little bit and say, well, what's another word for frustrated or, or whatever? And she's a really great writer. She's a great poet and sends me amazing poems all the time. And and then, you know, we just recorded this cool little song. It was a really great, great way for her to express, which is what music is for. You know, it's a great way for her to express what she was feeling. And she was having a lot of trouble figuring out how to do that. So we were able to move it out of her body and onto a recording. That's so cool. Well, I hope there's another one down the road somewhere. Yeah, me too. Me too. She's my favorite <laughs> co-writer for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Matthew, we started out talking about Buchanan and being from a small town. I just have one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be Southern? Oh, man. You know, um, I think it means being able to really live on a slower pace and enjoy that pace. You know, there's a pleasure in, you know, that's kind of stereotypical vision of an old Southern man sitting on a rocking chair, just looking at the yard. That's an amazing thing to do. And that's something that, you know, there's all kinds of apps and and meditation guides that are just searching for that. And, you know, growing up Southern, it's just what you did sometimes was just sit and enjoy the summer day. So I think just the pace is really what I've taken from that and being able to just really be where I am and be grateful for it and have that grace um, that is carried through the Southern part of America. Well, I think uh, we're all feeling that, especially after this past year we've been through. Yeah, definitely. We've been forced to slow down. (laughs) Well, Matthew Ramsey of Old Dominion, thank you for being on Biscuits and Jam. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Old Dominion's Matthew Ramsey. Their latest self-titled album is available wherever you get music. And you can visit weareolddominion.com for social media and tour dates. If you'd like to contribute to either of the causes discussed earlier, visit themensgroomer.com or theramseyfoundation.com. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama, and this podcast was produced and edited in Nashville, Tennessee. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about the program. You can find us online at southernliving.com and subscribe to our print publication by searching for Southern Living at www.magazine.store. Biscuits and Jam is produced by Heather Morgan Schott, Chrissy Tiglius, and me, Sid Evans, for Southern Living. Thanks also to Ann Kane, Jim Hankey, Danielle Roth, Matt Sav, Erica Wong, and Rachel King at Pod People. Coming back next week for more Biscuits and Jam. 